The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinek. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinek. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today's guest is Wes Rayleigh from Rayleigh's Confectionery in Tallahassee, Florida. If you thought hard candy was a thing of the past, Wes Rayleigh will make you think again. After dropping out of medical school, Wes talked his way into a job as a candy maker apprentice. Eight years later, and with invaluable experience under his belt, he realized a personal dream and opened Rayleigh's Confectionery in February of 2013. Over the past year and a half, he's been hard at work defining the brand, refining Finding his process and growing his company from a one guy grinding away in a shared kitchen to a tidy little manufacturing operation churning out enough candy to supply all of Whole Foods markets in Florida, 60 boutique food stores in the U.S. and Canada, thousands of online customers, and hundreds of private label custom candy orders from weddings to small business culture of Tallahassee, and strives to pay forward all the support mentorship, and enthusiasm that helped him realize his entrepreneurial dream. One of the best statements we've heard in a long time, and this is me personally from Wes, he said, I quote, I started my business with $2,000 and a bad attitude, unquote. (laughs) But after talking with Wes, I think you'll agree it isn't a bad attitude, but absolute sheer determination. So Wes Raley, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on, David. And I've got to, I love the, you know what, nothing but $2,000 and a bad attitude. But, dude, knowing you like I know you, you just, you just run through a brick wall. You're going to do whatever it takes to get things done, and, and I think that fits you perfectly. Well, you know, when I was starting off, I say bad attitude, and it was kind of because, you know, failure wasn't an option. There was really only one, one way to go. There was no right. other alternative. So, you know, you had, you had to do it. And you just, and, and again, you just kind of, you just, you just deal with it, you know, you just deal with it. So, mm-hmm. well, like, like I usually ask lots of our listeners, now we're going to dig into Rayleigh's confectionery, you know, further on in the show, but I really want to get to know Wes Rayleigh. I really want to get to know your background and where you've been. So let's go back. So one of the things I had noticed from the, the bio was you had dropped out of a, a pre-med program at UCF. Was that before you kind of got into the candy business or was that after? That was before I got into the candy business. Um, I'm not quite sure how I even ended up um, in, the, in the medical field. Uh, I had been one of those kids in high school that was always like smart. So everybody would be like, hey, Wes, you're smart. 
you know, you're going to go to the, in the medical field. And so I right. just kind of ended up there. Um, and I had just come back from living overseas. So I was in college doing something I wasn't all that interested in. And um, I would just go into the classroom and feel like the only one that didn't belong there. And uh, my grades reflected that. <laughs> so yeah. um, Welcome to my world. <laughs> What's that? Welcome to my world. Oh, I know, man. So, yeah, so the University of Central Florida asked me very nicely not to uh, come back again <laughs> um, and take any more classes. And so, um, so I obliged them, and uh, I was delivering pizza at the time, and I just, it was it's depressing, you know, when you, when you go for something and then you, you fail at it. Sure. Um, people ask me all the time, how did you end up in the candy business? And I always tell them, oh, I failed at everything else. Um, but I kind of did. And so... I was delivering pizza and uh, needed direction in my life. I just sat down on the couch one day, turned on the Food Network, and lo and behold, there's this dude making candy by hand. And, you know, he's just got this sugar and he's stretching it out and sculpting these designs and talking about it. And I thought, that's me. I could, I saw myself like right there. And so um, he was, uh, he worked for a company called Sugar Sugar. And I ended yep. up contacting him and somehow convinced him to take me on as an apprentice. Really? Um, yeah, it was. I actually ended up starting work the day after I talked to him. He had to do a demo in Orlando, and he. So I, I was kind of like, you know, just speaking a mile a minute, like I do about his candy and stuff, and how cool I thought it was. And he said, "Hey, can you be in Orlando at eight o'clock in the morning tomorrow?" And I was like, "Absolutely, I can." See, and that's one of the things that it, I think it's important for a lot of our guests because we have a lot of a lot of um, a lot of a. Listeners, I should say, we have a lot of listeners that are there's there's startups, um, small mom and pops, and of course we've got some larger firms that I, I love the fact that they listen in. But uh, we had the uh, the president of Fanny Farmer and um, um, Harry London Chocolates and a couple others from the from the complete polar opposite side from you doing your thing, right? But. Right. One of the things that it was interesting was you had mentioned at the beginning was you know you failed at everything else and I, and I'll and I'll beg to differ I don't think you failed I think you just learned your way and um, you know it's 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 one of those things because failure only is a failure if you stop or quit um, oh, and sure. you, uh, knowing you 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 don't quit you're just going to kind of you know you pivoted so all you did was pivot. And uh, and it takes in a tremendous amount of gumption to um, uh, pick up a guy from and, and, and or watching the TV and say, you know what, I can do this, and I'm going to reach out to this guy. And I mean, that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I guess I, you know I kind of say it tongue in cheek, you know. Um, of course. But uh, yeah, it is. Um, you know, that's always there's always an opportunity to learn, and um, you know, throughout the challenges, even before starting the business, you know, and then after, of course starting the business, then you get into all kinds of challenges, but they're so valuable. Right. Um, and, you know, going back and understanding what happened and what went down and, and how I'm going to, like, use that. Um, so I did go back to school and got a degree of business um, with a focus on finance, and my plan is to never use it for anything but my personal finance. <laughs> um, but, you know, right. it, was, it was nice to have that, hey, I've done it wrong one time, and now, you know, because I came in at, at 28 to finish right. school, with a baby in the house and my wife also a full-time student. So, you know, it was nice to have that. Okay. I know how to do this now and let's make it happen. I agree. I, I look back at my college days and, and like you, it was an adventure and, um, and, and I love the way you put it, you know, walking into a lecture hall and, and, and feeling like you're the only one that doesn't belong there. And I, I totally get that. And, 
you know, there's, there's so much of the stuff that I've done after college um, because you want to and because we, 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 we want to get that degree and it's not just something that's kind of like, hey, Wes, you're smart. Um, you should go to college. You're going right. because you want to go and, and it's a whole different ball game. And, um, and props to you. And it's not easy going back to school. I'll tell you, man, that's one of the hardest things oh. I've ever had to do was going oh, back here. to school. Man, it's hard, really hard. But it was one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done, and um, it was I really it changed the way I looked at myself after I had gone back and and done that. Sure. Um, and that was that was the I graduated the year before I started my business. So I think if I hadn't gone back and gone to school and gotten that, I don't think I would have had the confidence to basically you know take my two thousand bucks and run. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about Sugar Sugar, because that's really what kind of got you in there. So you reached out to this guy, yeah. you found him on the Food Network. Tell us a little bit about, about that experience. So Sugar Sugar was a company, I don't think they're still in business anymore, but they might be. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but they were a company that um, made a type of candy called Cut Rock, okay. um, which is a, uh, a little bite-sized piece of hard candy, similar to what we make um, here at Rayleigh's Confectionery, with a little design inside. Yep. And this type of candy has been um, made for about 200 years. So I always get a kick out of people going, how'd you come up with this? And I always right. say, I didn't come up with it. <laughs> it came up before my great-grandparents were born. That's but right. uh, it was made in England on the seasides. Wow. And um, in, a, in a candy book I have, there's a, there's a chapter on Cut Rock. And the opening chapter is basically so that Cut Rock is a terrible candy and that nobody... Um, Nobody likes it. They just bite as an obligation when they're at the beach. And for a long time, that was the reputation Cut Rock had. And it was, right. uh, it had this, you know, in Victorian England, it was just kind of this gimmicky thing. Well, it almost all but died um, up until probably the mid-90s when some guys from um, Australia went up to Blackpool, England, learned how to do it, came back and kind of refined the concept. They brought kind of modern colors and flavors sure. to the party. Um, rather than selling it in these you know, 18-inch long sticks, which, you know, I mean, how are you going to eat an 18-inch long stick? Do right, you want to buy right. that for your kid, you know? Exactly. They, uh, they cut it up into small bite-sized pieces um, and packaged it. There's a myriad of different ways that they've packaged these pieces. Um, but they, uh, and it started to go crazy. I mean, they were selling uh, candy left and right all over the coastal towns in Australia. Several companies split off. You know, any time that a, a new product is extremely successful, it's going to be copycats. So oh, before yeah. long, there were go. four or five different people competing. And so the guys who started Sugar Sugar um, went over to Australia on a vacation, saw this, got just totally engaged in the process. Uh, one of the important things about the Australian business model of rock making is that it's also a show. When you go into a place to see um, rock being made, or they call it lollies in Australia. So when you go in a place to see these candies being made, there's someone that's not only you know making the candy, but also talking about it and throwing these colorful pieces of sugar right. back and forth. Right. The process takes about 45 minutes long, so like no matter when you come in, you know you can always stick around and see the finished product kind of materialize. Um, and it's quite amazing. So they came back to Florida, kind of enamored with this idea, started Sugar Sugar, um, and it was the first uh, people doing rock in. The U.S. as far as I know. And then they were, of course, followed shortly after by other, uh, other people as well. 
Yeah, you know, and it's it, it's so cool as you're describing it. I remember seeing a, a YouTube video with you, um, you know, making it, and it is quite elaborate. I mean, I think the only thing I can think of that's, that's similar is when we, you know, walk through a mall or, or frankly, at the seashore and see them making the, you know, the fudge or whatever it is. But you know, that's very similar. I mean, you're it's quite elaborate. I mean, you're spinning that stuff and twirling that stuff. I mean, and mixing it. It's 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 not an easy process. There's there's quite a lot of steps to it, correct? It does. It takes it takes a lot of skill and um and it's something it's funny in places where this industry is established, people make um the rock candy. It's you know, it's, it's a lifetime um trade. Sure. And people do it their whole lives, which is kind of you know, there's not a whole lot of this left uh in the world, lifetime trades. Um, so whenever, you know, there's an opportunity to, you know, to, to engage people who have a lifetime trade, I think it's fascinating to the general public. Um, oh, absolutely. A rarity and a sort of a magic to it. And the, and the sugar, sugar, so you start with this guy as, as kind mm-hmm. of an apprentice for a while, and then you right. kind of, um, and again, you were there for a few years, and then you mm-hmm. went off to Lofty Pursuits. So Lofty Pursuits is kind of unique. You'd, you'd mentioned you guys, you and your brother started a yo-yo string company that caught the attention of the owner of Lofty Pursuits. Tell us more right. about that. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so Sugar Sugar was, um, the recession hit it pretty hard. The recession hit all of Florida pretty hard, and so they were sure. struggling. Um, and, and I had gone up to um, their production manager at that point. Um, and so on the side, to make extra money, um, my brother and I started a yo-yo string company. He was, uh, he was making these yo-yo strings in his dorm room with a power drill, some fishing tackle, and some textbooks. And uh, <laughs> I was chatting with him one day and asking him, you know, how long does it take you to make a yo-yo string? He was like, oh, about 10 minutes. And he was like, yeah, I even traded some for a yo-yo. And I'm doing the math in my head and thinking, and he's getting like $3 an hour making these strings. Um, so we got to talking about them. And we ended up building this machine that was 11 feet long and had uh, 72 spools of polyester serger thread and this shuttle mechanism. It's, I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like the world's biggest uh, rat's nest waiting to happen. Um, <laughs> but when it worked, it could pump out quite a bit of yo-yo strings in like custom colors and designs. And we would go to these little yo-yo contests, which um, would happen around, the, uh, around Florida and around the southeast. Um, and I, we called our company Snack Time Strings. And so nice. I made some little candies with our logo inside and was handing them out at a yo-yo contest. And, um, and that's when um, the owner of Lofty Pursuit saw them, thought it was really amazing. And uh, so we started talking back and forth. I say he used to, he used to call me about two times a month, trying to offer me a job. And after a couple months of that, I said, all right, let's give it a shot. So I moved right. to Tallahassee. Um, to work with them to help open up a soda fountain and candy shop and all that. That was in 2010. That is just, it's, it's so cool because I, I mean, I can hear all these stops along on the road um, of, of what is really kind of defined you. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's one thing that I've, I've learned over the years that, you know, whatever it is that, 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 that dropped that little dime in your, in your head to say, start your own business, start your own business, I can see it, and I'm sure you can now, too, looking back. Oh, sure. You know, you know the sugar, sugar, and then, of course, you're segueing into this yo-yo, but basically you've got a little bit of a candy twist to that. Um, right. Going to these, you know, these yo-yo uh, conventions, if you will, or, or expos or whatever they are, and you're just doing your thing. And um, I just think it's fascinating. It's such a cool story. It was, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a fun ride. It was a fun ride for sure. 
Now, did you at that point was there ever a thought at you know as as things kind of were you know thinking well I could do this myself or was there ever a you know hey you know what about you know did, did you start thinking at that particular point maybe at Lofty Pursuits of oh, yeah. you know hey I you could know, probably I was, put this together. <laughs> I was kind of a cocky young man. I still am, uh, <laughs> and so I thought that I, I kind of like was born with that thought, um, you know, and. Uh, and so with, with Sugar Sugar, um, I really had some strong opinions on how the business should be run. And when it started to really suffer, um, it was very frustrating for me. Um, it had changed hands during my tenure there. And, um, and so it was, it, was, it was very, like, it was hard for me to kind of internalize that I couldn't, you know, be in charge. And so, um, you know, when, once, when I went to Lofty Pursuits, I had a lot more responsibility and I got to... I got to do some stuff and work with some people who were really creative. And um, I was there for about three years. And, um, and you know, when you're a candy maker, you can't really put your resume out on, you know, Indies or Monster oh, or anything yeah. and say, like, right. candy maker, you know. You kind right. of have to define your own career. Um, and so there was really nowhere for me to go, to go up. You know, I had, uh, I had one kid. I was married. I had another kid on the way. And I thought, you know, I want to provide for these you know, my family, and I want to have an ambition. And I've, you know, over my life, I've tried to take my ambition and, you know, put it in someone else's hands, and I've always sure. been disappointed. Um, and so my wife and I sat down, and we had a lot of long conversations um, about it. And uh, she told me to go for it. And I thought, you know what? I probably should. So, um, yeah, so we did it. Um, and it was it was pretty terrifying those first couple months. I think I spent that two thousand dollars in about forty eight hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, isn't it? It's amazing, and it's and I'll tell you, I remember back when I started my business, and it really does take your wife's significant other. Um, there, there's that little nudge that kind of says, "Yeah, we can do this. Let's let's go for it." And um, and it's not for the faint of heart, man. I've been trying to tell a lot of people, and I know you've got friends that'll say, "How'd you do that?" And um, you know, "Can you help me with this or whatever?" And it's not meant for everybody. It's, you know, some people love to get that paycheck and love to make sure they can, I don't want to say punch in and punch out, but boy, I'll tell you, starting your own business is not for the faint of heart. And, and props to you and your wife for, for kind of sticking together on that. It was, it was quite an adventure. You know, we, uh, we, we, the first month, we pretty much just ran out of money immediately. And I would go into my garage and look around and go, what can I sell in here? Um, <laughs> And we had kind of a, uh, um, you know, there was a, you know, an end, an end, like there's going to be no more money to do anything with, and we need to get so many orders. And so I would get up in the morning, and I, I had it all broken down, and I would say, I need to sell you know, X amount of dollars worth of candy today. I would just get up the phone and start calling and um, emailing people and just trying to figure out how do I move this, you know, each amount of day, and we were able to do it. Um, it was tough because every single month that was like for the first probably six months, you see like this uh, event horizon where <laughs> once you go beyond it, the business no longer exists. Yeah, it's, exa- it's exhausting. It's a- I've totally been there. And those of us that are listening, mm-hmm. our listeners, I mean, I know they've been there because it is absolutely when that living day to day, not just, you know, day to day, I guess you could say minute to minute. You know what I mean? If yep. there's an mm-hmm. unexpected bill or something breaks down or whatever, we're screwed. I mean, we got nothing. And, yeah. um, and and that is just such a, it's a brutally exhausting period of time. It's rough. I had to, I actually had to fire my wife. She has an accounting certificate, so she was doing my books. Wow. And uh, 
she would know, you know, all the details of the business. And, um, and uh, eventually it, it kind of like got stressful. And I decided that I would rather have a wife <laughs> than a business partner or a bookkeeper. Yep. Yep. Um, so I said, darling, I love you so much. So yep. I'm going to fire you. Yep. And, uh, and she took it in excellent graces and, uh, <laughs> but it was, Cause and, it, and it's I such said, a stressor. What? I mean, it it's really never... does. I remember, you know, so many times and, and when we first started out, I mean, same thing. And, um, and when my, my wife as well was involved and it's, it, you just dabbling in certain things and it's kind of like, you know what, just can't do it. You gotta, Oh, we've got, so what I find is interesting. And as we're, ch- we're chatting right here, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, Hey, I gotta, I gotta sell this much money to basically keep the lights on or this much candy to keep mm-hmm. the lights on. Um, you know, those are the kind of things that really define us as, as, as entrepreneurs that really define us and push us through. Um, because it's at that moment that really, you know, sets us up for the, for the future. And when you know right. that you can't be broken and your spirit cannot be broken, you're just, you know, knowing you, like I know you, you're, you're able to kind of go. I imagine you in that garage at that time going like, I'm just not going to quit. I'm just not going to stop. Um, and that's really that attitude that, that, that entrepreneurs and, and, and business owners need to have when the time, when the, when the going gets tough. Absolutely. It's, it's important. It's, it's a good tool to have in your pocket. Without question. So, all right. So the, let's kind of wrap up this little area if we, if we will. So we've got sure. in, uh, we talked about the lofty pursuits and now whatever happened with the, um, uh, with the yo-yo string business with your brother, How, where did that ever, ever, ever kind of come about? Well, you know, sometimes you need to push through and sell stuff out of your garage to keep a business going, and sometimes you just need to fold it down and say, <laughs> "All right, well, that was a lot of fun, but it no longer makes any financial That's sense." Right. And so, That's right. you know, adios. So we we went and shut it down. He still has. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think he still has the machine, um, or at least parts of it. And every once in a while, um, he used to go to yo-yo contests and demo, hang on, show like kind of how it's made and, you know, for fun. But I don't even think he yo-yos anymore. So, yeah, Dude, you know, life moves on. Wild. Yeah, it, it it sure does. Well, I want to make sure that we touch base in the few minutes we've got in this break. Um, but I want to talk about your, you, you traveled over the world. Uh, you were in Turkey for a while in the Republic of the Marshall Islands. Tell us about that. Yeah, so... Um, my dad is the kind of guy that has a midlife crisis about every 10 years. Um, and so he decided that the family needed to know what it's like to live in another country. So yep. my two brothers, my mom, everybody in the family uh, moved out to Kwajalein Atoll in the Marshall Islands when we were, I think I was, I just turned 17 when we left. Dang. So I was there for my last two years of high school. Um, and it was interesting. It's in Micronesia, which means tiny islands. And the whole island is a half mile wide and three miles long. How and did they pick that particular island? It picked us. Um, there was a, there's a, a missile there that yep. uh, I don't know how much I can talk about it, but there's a <laughs> missile there that, that helps America to be secure. Okay. And, um, and, uh, and Boeing and Raytheon are companies that work on such things. And so, yes. um, yeah, so my dad is, is an electrical engineer works for um, aerospace. And so he yep. got a job out there and it was more people have won the lottery than have lived out there. Wow. It's a, it was a wild ride. Hard and to meet girl, you, good sushi. Well, yeah, I was going to say, and, and I would imagine not only that, but I mean, what an adventure to be able to kind of really come back with. And, and there are certain things that I just, it's fascinating to kind of go through that light, that life like that. 
Tell us, and Turkey was a similar experience? So, you know, once, once he got the bug to kind of live overseas and, and travel, um, you know, then it was, then he was hooked. And so, um, and also there wasn't a lot of good job opportunities for him that were as interesting as what he was doing back in, uh, um, in the States. So when an opportunity came up to go to Turkey, they took it. And, you know, it's one thing going to an island paradise, but, you know, Turkey is a country where you don't really, usually when you hear about it on the news, it's not something positive. Correct. Um, but it's an amazing place. Um, they lived there for six years, and I think it's probably my mom's favorite place that she's been. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful country with a lot of really phenomenal people and uh, a very cool entrepreneurial um, spirit as well. Really? I'll be done. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a very cool it- place. And so the, obviously, the history of uh, of Turkey just goes back. You know, obviously, just it's just amazing oh, yeah. uh, to the beginning of time, and it just it's an amazing culture. Absolutely, absolutely. We did some. We went to Cappadocia. You know, we were all over the place, but it's a, it's an amazing place, and I recommend anyone to go. The food is also very good. They like uh, meat and yogurt, which I never thought those two would go together. <laughs> you usually don't think of meat in your yogurt, but that's a big that's a big deal, and it is quite nice. Is that is uh, that right? Well, that's interesting. Absolutely, well, yeah. So my uh, my little brothers grew up there, um, and they speak. One of them speaks pretty good Turkish. And then um, I was already in college by that time, so I went over to visit in the summers and worked at some summer camps there, and kind of just moved around. You know, it's yeah, exactly. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking with our buddy Wes Rayleigh with Rayleigh's Confectionery. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to be right back. We're going to dig in more uh, on this whole candy business that he's got going on. Stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You. 
You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box, ladies and gentlemen, talking with our friend Wes Raley with Raley's Confectionery out of Tallahassee, Florida. So before we really dig into the whole thing about your candy business, um, one of the things you had mentioned, you bounced around all over throughout South Florida or Florida in general. Is that, is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. I'll be done. Well, that's a, and in fact, you know, again, the, the whole bit about this candy business in Florida just seems to fit you like a glove. So I'm just kind of excited to kind of learn more and, and kind of dig in. So now let's take us to this. So your wife gives you that nudge. You get into the, the, the business. You've started this little place. You're now in, a, in dealing with like a little contract kitchen, if you will. Tell us, tell us let's take us back to those early days of Rayleigh's Confectionery. Sure. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a, uh, it was a wild time. I was working with a chocolatier who would yep. use the kitchen in the morning. I would use it at night. Um, he was, he was a great guy. He's still his, he was starting at the same time I was. I actually, um, when I was starting my business, I, uh, I would just go hang out and anybody who coffee shop, bar, you know, any, anywhere, I would just talk to your off about it. And so, as I did, people kind of said, well, you need to talk to so-and-so. And so I got hooked up with this guy, and uh, Bob Williamson was Seriously Chocolate out in Austin now. Um, so we, it was kind of like the two of us, and it was nice to have a buddy who was doing the same thing. Um, he had Absolutely. also quit his job to start this bean-to-bar roasting thing. So anyway, we had a lot of fun, except he was a mess and wouldn't be the kitchen queen. <laughs> but, uh, um, That's a different we went, story. Yeah, exactly. As we went... Um, uh, Tallahassee has a wonderfully collaborative small business culture. Yep. Um, and so people would come to me kind of asking like, Hey, what can we do? How can we help? Um, so I got plugged into several different entrepreneurial groups around town. Um, and that's, that's huge. You know, when I lived in Orlando, there was not a collaborative culture. There was a very competitive culture right. that stifled, um, small business. And I think innovation, um, which is one of the things that I really love about this town. Um, so anyway, the uh, they did a trade show just for Whole Foods in um, Tallahassee. They were going to you know build one here, and so they wanted some local products. And so the Chamber of Commerce put on this little thing. So we of course pulled our booth out there and had our packaging, and, uh, and I was going crazy to get ready for it. We had before then our labels were basically a bunch of typewriter keys. I had duct taped one of my wife's shampoo bottles. Oh, and the, that Rayleigh's arch. That's why there's a star in the Rayleigh's logo, because I didn't have an yeah. apostrophe in the typewriter key set. <laughs> oh, man. So and I would stamp it on every on this like brown craft paper sticker on every bag. And then yep. I had a bunch of stamps for the different flavors. And so we were like, we got to get in Whole Foods. It's going to be our big break. It's going to be our big break. Yep. So we hustled to get ready for that. Um, brought everything up there, got everything set up, got all the candy made for it and everything. And... uh the buyers came in, you know, and they're all walking around looking at everybody's stuff. And there's, you know, probably 20 little small food vendors there. Um, and they came over, looked at our stuff and, you know, they're always like, what's so special about it? And so you, you do your best and the guys seem really excited. And then they didn't give me a business card. Um, and I was really, I was like, man, are they going to contact me? I really want to send them a follow-up email. How's yeah, right. it going to work out? And so I said, you know what? I'm going to get, I'm going to get that guy's email address one of the main guys. So I, um, and I hope they don't take me off of the shelves when they know this, but 
I took a picture of the business card while it was being given to someone else and uh, used that <laughs> to send my follow-up email. Dude, you've got such gumption, man. It's unbelievable. Don't change. This is awesome, so, man. Keep going. This is in, great. It was a lot of fun. So I sent him an email, and he was like, oh, of course I remember you. Great. Yeah, we loved your product. Can you come down to Fort Lauderdale and pitch in front of our executive team? And so I did. I went down to Fort Lauderdale and pitched it in front of their executive team, and they put it in all the stores in Florida. And that was the big – once after that, it was like, okay, now we're now this is for real. Yeah, now you're legit. Now you're really in business. And, I mean, it just that's just such a cool story. So at that particular time, you're, you're – um, all right, so you take us back. So you're going to this – um, and by the way, I want to definitely touch base on the small business uh, culture in Tallahassee because it sounds a lot like Cleveland, believe it or not, uh, in a oh, very cool. good way. Um, but I want to make sure that we kind of – so you've got this potential big break and you're rolling the dice, if you will, because let's face it. I mean, this is – you know, you're, you're, on the, you're on the brink here. You're either going to get over the hump or you're going to kind of stay back. Uh, um, how did you come up, kind of come up with – um, the flavors you were going to present to to Whole Foods and and that kind of stuff because I would imagine you really wanted to wow them. I mean, I got to believe you you rolled out all the stops. No, sure. Um, oh, absolutely. Of course. You know, flavor is is paramount. When someone puts one of your products in their mouth, that's a huge uh, trust. You know, that's an intimate experience yep. that requires yep. a lot of faith. So you have to make good on that trust and on that promise. Um, so I take flavor very, very seriously, um, and I had just switched to natural flavors. All of the uh, candy companies I'd ever worked for were artificial flavors. Wow. And so when I switched to naturals, I didn't have a whole lot of experience. I had a little bit of experience with naturals, but not um, not as much as, you know, with the artificial. So I used the product mix, or the, the flavor mix, Mix basically um, was things that I found natural that really worked well. Right. Um, and one of my big breaks was we got a good natural watermelon, which is it's really hard to get a natural watermelon to taste right. Um, I don't know of any natural candy company that do a watermelon except for us. Um, and I think that's one of the things that impressed them a lot. And it's still uh, the number one selling single flavor at Whole Foods is the natural watermelon. Is that right? Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's I, now now I'm gonna I'm gonna get give you a little bit of the forewarning that that will be our flavor when we get our uh, stand-up pouches. Oh, nice. All right. I hope you like it. Totally. We're going to love it. I love watermelon and just knowing that. So, so again, that was the flavor you kind of went with 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 Whole Foods? Well, we had had several flavors. They actually took on 10 SKUs at first. Nice. Yeah. So we had, you know, it's because people love to buy candy in a spectrum. And this probably would be really relevant to your, uh, you know, people who are more interested in packaging. But... You know, what's the Skittles uh, tagline? Taste the rainbow. You know, every consumers love to see that rainbow. Yeah. You can put, you know, like Roy G. Biv across a section of shelf. People are just drawn to it like a magnet. Um, so that's kind of how we did. We basically started with blue and went to red. Oh, darn. And, and you know what? And take us through now as as you've kind of gotten over that hump. Um, you know, are you coming up with new custom flavors or are you constantly kind of like mixing new things? How do you kind of come up with um, new flavors to kind of keep things fresh? Um, so I, uh, I, I actually come up with less flavors than I used to. Um, Interesting. When I first started the business, and in, in, in the previous business I had worked for, um, we made a lot of new flavors all the time. And new flavors are wonderful. And it's, it's super fun. I could sit in the kitchen and make new flavors all day long and have an absolute blast. Um, but every time you make a new flavor, 
there's always, there's the whole, you, so you have to support that flavor, right? So you have yep. to make sure that it's consistent, the designs are consistent. All your staff needs to be trained on how to make that flavor with that design. Um, you have to document it. Then you have to make sure that that flavor is, is going to be, you have to decide what's the availability. Can my wholesalers buy it? You know, is it only for the website? And so what I found myself doing, especially my first couple years in business, was coming up with all these amazing new flavors and then being really sloppy about how I put them out. Interesting. Um, yep. And so now I'm putting less flavors out, but I'm trying to make the uh, the machine more well-oiled. I'm trying to keep the process um, more refined. So that when we do launch a new flavor, nobody's disappointed because they can't get it in a certain situation. Um, or, you know, if somebody calls us up and says, I won't need a gazillion bags of these because it's amazing. You know, we want to make sure that we can fill that. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I actually make much less new flavors than I used to, but when we do, we do it a lot more methodically. You know, that's it's such a cool lesson to be learned, too, because a lot of people would, would think that you just kind of keep rolling the dice and coming up with, uh, you know, more and more flavors, more and more flavors, whatever it may be. Um, right. But you're right. You really kind of stayed, you know, and, and realized what was working and what wasn't. And it's not worth it to um, get that big order if you can't fulfill it. What good is it to have um, that big break if you're not going to be able to kind of get your product to them on time? Um, you know, it's that's a you know it's a great lesson for a lot of us to learn. Mm-hmm. I do a little bit of mentorship with food businesses in, in this area, um, and uh, it's interesting because I will talk to my mentees and I'll talk to some of the uh, local retailers, like the um, kind of boutique food stores and stuff. And uh, the, the, <laughs> like, you know, what's the number one thing that you want a small food producer? to deliver to you. And they don't say like an amazing product or some like, you know, brilliant innovation. They say, we want delivery on time and what we ask for. You know, you know, it's, it's funny. I had a a lead, uh, a team with our, or a a meeting with my executive team this morning. And one of the things that kind of came up was, was exactly what you were just mentioning. As we start dealing with a lot of bigger clients, we we really kind of cut our teeth initially in the packaging business going after small mom and pops and little, and it's great. That's still a big piece Mm -hmm. of our business, but we're able to run very small custom printed um, pouches, which also is a great segue into the bigger players because they necessarily, if they want to try a new flavor, try a new skew, get something on a store shelf, they don't have to buy right. a, a, you know, a million bags. We can run very sure. small millions or very small runs. But w- it came up exactly as you mentioned it. The, the biggest buzzword for the bigger firms um, is not necessarily things like warehousing or just-in-time delivery. I mean, that all kind of sort of kind of connects together. But just like right. you said, they can never afford to run out a product. They got to have product on time. And yep. that's so, you know, that's so right. You have to be able to do that. And if you don't, then you're just killing, you know, kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Yep. So, so you've got two key things that I think are really interesting about this uh, cut rock candy, if you will. You've got okay. this personalization side of things where you can you can do the logos and the and the little things that are on there, um, and, and, and then you also have these flavors. 
So tell us right. a little bit about that. So you and and again, I know it's part of the, and I'm not looking for the secret sauce, but you've got this really cool way to put, uh, uh, you know, like for us, uh, an arrow is kind of our logo. You've got this amazing ability to kind of put that through, um, you know, on the end or the or, or actually design into each piece of the candy, right? Right. So um, it's, uh, it's made completely by hand. And if you've ever seen somebody roll a sushi roll, that'll help with the visuals. Because it's, right. Um, right. You know, imagine these long strips of molten sugar. And when I say molten sugar, I'm talking about just brightly colored blobs that consistency of silly putty. And uh, we, they're about, about as hot as boiling water. And we arrange them in, these, uh, in kind of strips or in building them up just so. And it, it looks almost like uh, just haphazard randomness. But what we're doing is we're not working on building a design straight on the table. We're working on building a design that's going to be visible once the candy is cut into the cross section. So as we, we build this design from the center out, adding more and more colors and continuously rolling it, uh, we end up with a log. And it looks like, um, like a giant stumpy candy cane, kind of. Right, right. Um, you know, it's probably about three feet wide and maybe, and depending on our back size, it could be anywhere from eight to 18 inches around. Okay. Uh, and we'll stretch that then on one end slowly down to the diameter of, you know, like a, like a nickel or a penny, maybe a, the size that you'd want to put in your mouth um, right. and then begin to pull it out. And it basically pulls this rope from this log and whatever we designed in there, be it a company logo, be it a wedding monogram, we can do up to 14 letters in a piece of candy. Wow. That will be visible once you cut it on the end. And then we'll take that and we'll chop it up into you know, several thousand pieces um, as it goes. And that, because there's no dyes, because there's no, um, you know, uh, resetting, retooling of any equipment, it's all handmade, allows us to do very small batches. Uh, and that's how we started. Um, and, you know, just kind of like y'all, we, uh, we looked to the people who would need a small minimum right. and worked with them. And then once we were able to establish a good, you know, a base and a little bit of reputation, then we were able to start hunting bigger and bigger um, clients. So, so that, so this personalization part of it, if I may, and I'm interrupt you, but one of the things was that part of the original um, cut rock that you know that, that goes back centuries or back to England, or yeah, was that, that something that, that you kind of came up with? No, it's it's absolutely part of it. It goes back to centuries. Um, in fact, uh, the first cut rock ever made was had the the names inside. Um, Blackpool so cool. and Brighton, England, were the two big hotbeds. And they would call it Blackpool Rock because the most common design just said Blackpool inside. That is so wild. And, and folks, at the end of the show, of course, we'll put out um, Wes's contact information and, and Rayleigh's confectionery uh, website and the whole bit. But it, it's such a clever cool thing because you, you've got the personalization side of things with the great flavor um, that goes along with it. I mean, it's it's just a very, very cool thing. I've seen, like you were saying, from wedding, um, you know, w- w- for weddings or for corporate um, uh, gifts to, um, you know, there's just, a, there's just a ton of different things you can do with it. But at the end of the day, it's a great tasting product that you've made by hand. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a great thing all the way around. Absolutely. And the handmade nature of it, you know, that's something that a lot of folks don't even expect because in this day and age, you know, um, most 
Most things you order and you buy are not handmade. So right. we, um, you know, I get these people all the time sending us uh, uh, Pantone codes for colors. I have to say, okay, please understand it's handmade. So, you know, right. if it's pulled out, you know, if a guy's hand moves a little bit, that's going to change the shade of the color a little bit as, you know, as he's pulling it out because that'll change the thickness. And every piece is going to look a little differently when you look at it. And as long as my customers understand and their expectations are being met, right. then it's it's a real magical experience because you can give someone a bag of candy that no two pieces look the same. You know, it's, it's mind blowing almost. Well, it's such a cool little clever take on this. And and it's, and I, and I could totally relate to the Pantone things because we do a lot of work with Pantone PMS colors for our packaging. And the one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that Pantone color may look a certain way, like you and I were just talking, you know, on a business card, that Pantone uh, red 185 may look a certain shade. But if you put that same red on foil or a clear film, it's going to look different. Um, and you have to be able to, just like you were saying, you have to be able to explain that to the customer that, okay, you got to understand if we're going to change this, you know, substrate, if you will, and not print on paper, we're going to print on a, a glossy film, it's going to look different. But as long as the customer yeah. understands, so much the better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the Whole Foods, the Whole Foods, and the independent companies that you're now working with. So the Whole Foods was the big break, and and that gets you going. But you've also had tremendous success with independent companies. Tell us about that, um, you know, that segment of your business. Right. So, um, so we're in. I think I think you said sixty, but I think we're in about eighty now. Wow. Um, Little boutique, kind of mom and pop shops. Some of them yep. do quite a, a lot of volume. Some of them just buy a few cases a year. Um, all over the U.S. and uh, we were in a few in Canada up until the exchange rate became unfavorable um, for them to order from us. Wow. Um, yeah, but anyway, and those we kind of a lot of those people found me through um, gift box company subscriptions. Oh. Um, you know, Whole Foods was one big break. My other big break was Mouth Foods. Um, and they're a fantastic company based out of New York that does sure. uh, gift boxes. So you buy, you subscribe, and you get a box of, you know, curated artisan foods all the time. Right. And uh, one thing I discovered was that um, all these mom and pop retailers they don't have a lot of time to go to a lot of trade shows. Um, a lot of them don't, you know, they, they want something that's like handmade and really unique, especially the, the type of stores where my product fits really well in. Sure. And so they browse or they subscribe to these gift box companies. To um, to see what kind of products that they're gonna they're gonna get. So we ended up. Um, I started targeting the gift box companies as a way to market to the uh, mom and pop retailers, and then you get two sales for you know one marketing effort. Dude, you're one step ahead. I mean, that's such a because one of the questions I was just going to ask you was, um, you know, do you go to trade shows? And, and maybe you do now, but I mean, that's such a brilliant way to kind of really kind of segue your put yourself in those those shoes without having to really um, set the booth up and be at the trade show and and spend the you know four or five days in Chicago or wherever it may be. But do you right. do other trade shows for your marketing? Not for my company. I um I I like trade shows and I'm good at them and I do them for other people sometimes but I don't actually do any Rayleigh's confectionery trade shows yet. Um, I think maybe next year or the year after we'll be ready uh, because when I do a trade show I want to go in. You know it goes back to what I said earlier. I don't want anybody to order from me and have to say no. And so when I go and do a Correct. trade show I want to make sure that I have right. plenty of production capacity. I want to make sure that. 
um, however they want the candy to be delivered. You know, if they want me to have, um, you know, whatever capabilities it is, I want to be able to satisfy them. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and again, you definitely have your, your, your finger on the pulse of where this is going. And, and I mean, and again, so many companies that, that, that don't have that kind of foresight like you do to kind of go, wait a minute, if we did get that all of a sudden, if, if Whole Foods comes to you and says, look, you know, we love you in the, in the southern region of the, of the states, but now we want to go, glo- or go nationally, you know, you've got to be able to make sure that you could fulfill that and, and to be right. able to make them happy. And if you don't, then that's the death knell. You know what I mean? You know, I have a, a story about how I learned this lesson. I learned from someone else's mistake. Um, we did a Kickstarter when we first started. We had, uh, so I was in the kitchen with a chocolate guy, and yep. I wanted to, uh, and he was moving to Austin. Um, to pursue his hipster dreams of delivering chocolate on a bicycle, which he still does. Um, <laughs> and so I needed to take over the rest of the kitchen, and I wanted to raise some money to kind of fit it out nice and, sure. and do a few things. So I put out a Kickstarter, and, um, and it went great, and I got it funded. Everything was nice. But while I was doing that, I had been reading a bunch of other food company Kickstarters. And I stumbled upon this lady who started a marshmallow Kickstarter and raised $200,000. Wow. And you think, wow, you know, this lady raised... $200,000 to start a, for her marshmallow company. You know, what an amazing thing. Well, I started reading into the comments of the Kickstarter, and there was page after page of hundreds of upset people um, because oh. their marshmallows arrived moldy, soggy, in, one of any amount of problems. Oh. And she had never uh, tested her marshmallows for shelf life. Yep. And so there was, you know, it was a lot of very upset people. And of course, you know, you can't make your marshmallow company a going concern with that amount of online backlash. I mean, her Twitter and her Facebook, it was just inundated, you know? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> with, that's, with, and that's the tough one. And in fact, I, I just was um, chatting again, back to our, our team meeting this morning. And, you know, it's sure. so often that, that people, think of packaging in our little world, um, you know, they think of packaging at the last minute. And it's right. such an important component to what you're packaging. And like you're talking about this lady with the marshmallow, you know, or, or in your world with cut rock, you know, whatever you're packaging, mm-hmm. you've got to make sure that you keep the product fresh, um, oh, yeah. that it's it's in the flavors and the texture and all those other kind of uh, variables that the, that you want or intend the the customer that buys the the product to to kind of enjoy, but I mean it's like goodness gracious they people tend to think of of packaging at the last minute, and that's one of the key things that this lady probably got you know her clock clean because her product showed up moldy and not good. Sure, yeah, especially in confections um, for the packaging that we use, um, it has to be impervious to humidity. You know, I'm basically in the middle Correct. of a swamp. Right. And, uh, you know, our, our kitchen's all climate controlled, but once it comes out of our door, you know, nature just wants to turn my candy exactly. into one gooey blob, and I need packaging that will protect it. I mean, you know, I love, I love packaging because packaging is nature, you know? Right, right. When an orange grows on a tree, it doesn't grow on a tree in a bunch of sections because they would rot immediately. <laughs> That's uh, right. And so, you know, there's always that battle between nature and what you want to eat. <laughs> That's so true. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left in our show, and I just wanted to kind of, I, I, I just, I like to kind of wrap the show up a little bit with, okay, sure. so where would Rayleigh's Confectionery be if you had your druthers in three to five years, Wes? Okay, well, um, so we just hit a milestone right now. Um, the, ki- the kitchen can run without me. I can go uh, head out to somewhere. I've been in Canada yep. for six weeks. 
uh, just now, and people in the, the kitchen can run. Beautiful. So I just took a year-long consulting gig for another candy company. Good for I'm you. I'm planning on coming back here in a year with a head full of knowledge. Yep. And, um, and I want to move to the big city. I love Tallahassee, and I love the collaborative business community. Right. Um, but it's, uh, it's a very limited exposure here. You know, it's a small town. It's a little bit sure. off the beaten path. Um, and the show has been such an important part of rock candy throughout its entire history. And yet we are in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we're basically in a, you know, in an industrial area of town um, where no one even knows that we're working back here. I'll be um, done. And so I will be, in three to five years, we would absolutely have a storefront somewhere where you can come in and watch Ravis Confectionery Candy being made um, and experience, you know, it just, it, it opens up a whole new world that customers can experience you know our products and our brand well absolutely and i totally see that and not and i and frankly i see that in more than one location because i think that you you've got it it's a show you've got a you've got a bit right. of it's an experience you know and i could totally mm-hmm. see you being um you know in a, in a very cool boutique store that people would come in and just spend five or ten minutes watching you do your thing or your your staff do your thing and then obviously um go and buy some more of your product but um you know, I just think that is so cool, dude. I just, you know, and, and one of the questions I usually ask at the end is, you know, what are some of the things you're most proud of? But I, I'm just going to take a, take a stab at this, Wes. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. It, it's so refreshing um, to spend time with you and really hear it, you know, as far as you've got this gumption that just says, I'm just not going to stop until I get where I want to go. And it's so refreshing for a lot of our listeners, and myself included, to, to be a part of this and to watch you do your thing, man, has been really, really cool. And, um, yeah, I'm just really, it's, I'm glad I got to know you. I I really hope you'll come back, um, and kind of fill us in on not just the consulting gig, but, um, you know, where everything is going for Rayleigh's confectionery and what you've got going on in the future. And, um, I just think this is, I'm just really glad you came and, and, and you should be very proud of you because, you're a special guy. A lot of people would have quit a long time ago, Wes. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You no, know, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's like it's like the perfect date when you get to do all the talking. You know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. Hey, folks. If you want to learn more about Rayleigh's Confectionery, Rayleigh'sConfectionery.com or 850-778-1284. Special thanks to my producer, Jamie Berling, our executive producer, Winston Winnie-Price, and you for listening. Our show airs every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America family of networks. Until next time, remember, it's your product, folks. Package it properly. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.